0: I'm Jeff Cohen. When is the last time you picked up a jump rope? Maybe middle school, maybe never? Our next guest, Moshe Moskowitz, built an entire business around the health benefits of jumping rope. He also managed to make the jump from a secular to orthodox life. Like me, Moshe was in the Twin Towers on 9-11 and has a story to share about his horrific experience. Moshe, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Can I start with an apology about the pun on the word jump? Should I do that?
1: No, no, it's fine. I I hear it all the time.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. And your story is going to combine a lot of ups and downs and exciting stuff and scary stuff, because I know we're going to talk about exercise, but we're also going to talk about 9-11. So I have a feeling this is going to be like a whirlwind interview. I'm ready. All right. So let's give our listeners a sense of where your story begins. Where were you born and raised?
1: Good. I was born in East Windsor, New Jersey, which is between Princeton and Freehold. But growing up, it was more important that I was between the Meadowlands and, and Veterans Stadium. <laughs> My mom would actually let me sign high school. She would sign me school early so we could go to day game at Veterans Stadium a lot.
0: You got to have your priorities. Exactly. All right. So we've talked sports. Let's talk religion. What was your family like from a religious perspective during the early years?
1: So earlier years we were secular. I don't think I ever really even heard of Shabbos or had any idea what Shabbos was. Kosher was foreign. It was uh, you go to synagogue on Rosh Yom Kippur. During uh, growing up, we went to day school. We went you know, every Sunday. I think the year before your Bar Mitzvah, you had to add in on Monday or something. After the Bar Mitzvah, try to convince you to come once a week, and that doesn't happen. That happens like two days, and then you're done. Uh, so there's really no strong affiliation. We we were Jewish, and there was no doubt in our mind that we would always be Jewish. But there was nothing connecting us to Halakha, to the deeper aspects of the religion. You know, most of my friends were Jewish. All my family identified as, as Jews. Uh, but there was no substance to it as, you know, no Halakha. So I really didn't know anything about it, but I knew it was important to be Jewish. And of course, it was important to marry Jewish.
0: So were you going to Hebrew school in addition to being, I'm assuming you were in like a public school during the day, did you have Hebrew school supplementing that leading up to a bar mitzvah?
1: Exactly. So I went to the public school and, you know, starting in, I don't know, I think probably third grade, we would start going every Sunday. It's funny. Now I look back and I think the high school I went to has NCSY in there. And I thought about it, like, what happens if NCSY was there when I was there? Would I have affiliated? if I run away? Again, the bonus don't put me where I'm supposed to be at the right time, but it does cross my mind, you know, what my reaction would have been at the time. But growing up, I really don't think I ever came in contact with anyone religious that should or could have said to me, hey, do you, do you know, we ever heard about Shabbos, want to come for Shabbos dinner? You know, there's one guy in our high school that has sukkah. I think one guy. <laughs> and, and now since then, him and his whole family became from, and actually, I mean, I'm in touch with them. So it's pretty uh, ironic.
0: It's really amazing. I had a similar experience growing up. This idea that you know you're Jewish, but you know so little about it to even realize that there'd be all these different levels. And like Orthodox Judaism, similar too, was not even on my radar. I didn't know anybody. It wasn't even a thought in my mind that I could take on more. I just was doing what my family was doing.
1: Right. E- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'll tell you a side joke. My cousin's daughter is a semi-famous actress, whatever. So sometimes the kids, oh, I want to watch a show that she's in or something. And they'll tell her friends. So-and-so is my my father's cousin. So we're talking about knowing people who's religious. So I said, do you know what she's telling people? What? She's telling people that my father's cousin's religious. (laughs) They're like, Abba, she's definitely not saying
0: that. (laughs) It's nice to think that maybe she is. Maybe, maybe. All right, so continuing with your story, something you mentioned to me in the pre-interview is that unfortunately your parents divorced somewhere along your childhood. So maybe you can take us inside that and maybe how it affected what was going on for you while you were growing up
1: yes definitely that uh there's three things that led to me being religious that was the first thing when i was 12 13 or so my parents got divorced and my father shortly after married a non-jewish woman and then about 10 years later he told me that he was quote unquote converting out of judaism of course no one could actually convert out of judaism but he decided to explore catholicism and uh, Christianity, and he ended up going that way to such a far degree. He ended up becoming a uh, ordained deacon in a church. So he he went, he went, he fully went. Uh, I was very cl- always always very close to my father. I mean, even at that point, and my mother thought that I would naturally follow him, but uh, Baruch Hashem, I didn't. I actually started to go the other direction and figure out because he would ask me questions about Judaism, and I answer anything he said oh I don't know, apostles whatever it is he said that might be the that would be the biggest hoax in history so years after after when i learned a little i said you know what three million jews at Har sinai would be the biggest hoax ever <laughs> and i think i saw somewhere that the rom collar or something i think brings that down but i'm like yeah that would be a hoax okay anyway so at that point i was about 23 and i just started reading i bought like a old king james bible or something from barnes noble and I started reading a little on my own, but of course that, I mean, this, it doesn't really help anything, but then I moved to Hoboken and they were having a uh, introductory to Judaism class at the uh, conservative synagogue there. I started to go and I started to get involved. I started to learn more about Kashrus and Shabbos and keep everything on a very low level. I mean, I was still having roommates. I still had a trade kitchen and slowly start not to eat selfish. I would go shul, you know, sometimes Friday night, sometimes Saturday. Again, it didn't affect the rest of my weekend plans. I would go shul Friday night and then go go hang out at the bars, whatever. But it started to become more of a uh, part of my life, more of a, a opening, so to speak, to things that we talked about before that not knowing what Judaism was to now understanding it's a lot more than Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I started listening to a lot of lectures on Aish audio hundreds a hundreds of lectures so that that's kind of where the the first big turn point in my life was
0: but this exploration that you were doing was within the confines of a conservative synagogue did i hear that right
1: yes it's conservative synagogue in hoboken
0: so when you're doing that you might be learning more but the people that you're surrounded with people coming to that shul are not necessarily looking to eat kosher, keep Shabbos, like all the steps that would take someone towards Orthodox Judaism. So it almost sounds like to me that you were becoming even more interested than someone typically would in that kind of environment.
1: Uh, yeah, at first it wasn't obscure because where I was coming from to what I was learning, everything was new. So for me, you no, know, any level of kosher, any level of Shabbos was still so new to me. So it did at one point reach a breaking point at later, you know, uh, and, uh, me and my wife, and we were at a breaking point. I was kind of going back and forth between, on Shabbos, the uh, conservative shul and the kabad. And it was like a, like Baal, we're going back and forth every week. And I went to the conservative shul one time, and I was like, and it's enough. I, I can't go back here. I'm choosing that direction, and that's the direction we're going to go. But uh, at that point, we went fully to kabod, and it's funny. It's a great story that I I never said goodbye like that, or that comes over to And it was after we were married, actually, because the rabbi there actually married us. We got another Khadubba afterwards. But um, we never went back and said goodbye. It was just like an awkward thing. And years later, I saw my bris for uh, son of the Kabad rabbi, and I said to him, I felt bad, I'm sorry, I never said goodbye, he gave us a big hug. He was actually so happy that we had moved on and that we were taking more steps in our Judaism. It was like an amazing moment that like, sometimes you hear these stories, like, how could you leave? And he was just actually embraced us and was like, no, I'm very happy for the the path he took.
0: And you just referenced your wife coming into the picture. So at the time that you meet her, you're exploring Orthodox Judaism. Like, where is she holding? Like, how does she come into your life? And do you sort of explore this together and come to this realization as a couple that you want to live fully Orthodox?
1: Right, so we knew each other from college, but we were very different in college. I think I tried to take her out once or twice in college. She was like a very straight A student and very serious. And I was, okay, I partied a little. So years after college, we saw each other at a mutual friend's wedding. And you know I said, why don't we go out? And for a whole year, I was just taking her to dinner and just, I thought we were dating. I mean, it was like we are religious, because we never touched, we never kissed. Mm -hmm. Like, like, seriously. And the whole year, she thought we were just friends. So we we went there the whole year, and then finally, like, I'm never calling her again. And then she started calling me. So where she was religiously, she also grew up very secular. She thought one day she'd be religious to the point that she liked Shabbos candles. That was her goal. I went to Israel, also in the the picture with the note on birthright, and that's when I came back. I knew I formally, I would 100% be religious. And somewhere along the line, she called me on Saturday and I kept not answering the phone. And then she kind of realized like, exactly where I was holding. And you know, it was definitely an adjustment period because I was a lot more on the path before she was. So, you know, it was a lot of you know, give and take, and you know, it was it was hard. It was definitely hard because we entered the path together, I'm not gonna lie. And also, just by nature, I'm the type of person, and I can tell you where it was. When the first time I learned that you're supposed to learn tour every day, I'm like, okay. know i'm gonna learn to her every day the rest of my life you know she by nature has to hear something has to study it have to look at for every angle have to like say okay i'm going to accept this um yes i'm going to accept this no i'm not going to accept this so even today you know the kids are like uh you know my father was nifter recently so i said you know there's a minhawk some people have to fast on the art side of a parent like, Abba, do you have to accept every minhag? <laughs> Like Because like, then they know that's a accept- minhag they have to accept. So like, Abba, you know, you could have chosen like one hour, three hours. You had to choose six hours. So, uh, you know, there was definitely a, a times when we had to uh, get through some tough moments of, of growing. But uh, we're doing it.
0: So if I'm hearing this right, you get to a point after all these dinners that you're realizing that there's something there for you as a couple. Even outside of the religious discussion, you, you feel a connection that you could work as a couple. But separate from that, you're going to have to navigate where you're going to land religiously because you're. it seems like you're on this like fast track now and you're really excited about it. Your wife-to-be is more methodical. But you also, I would think, get a little bit of a runway before you have your first kid. Some of this gets more complex once you start having kids and you want to be like a united front for them of how you're going to raise them. So is that kind of how that journey was in the early years?
1: Right, so I, I think that's kind of what helped us get closer together, was that we were uh, pregnant with our first kid and we were living in Hoboken still, and we are only one of like five religious couples there. Yeah, you know, we were looking for a place to live, and naturally moving into a different community, you know, helped us fast track where we wanted to be. You know, we still pictures of us that we were looking at this house when we bought it seventeen years ago. We definitely without given detail, we look very different than we look today. Outwardly, many different things look different, both of us. And also just learning basic halakas. I mean, we were almost like on an island in Hoboken. I said there was like maybe five religious families. So, you know, it was very hard to, to grow. I mean, and there wasn't like a community. There was a kabad, which is great. But again, it's, it's not a whole community. You move here to Bergen County. I remember the first time I went to Minyon, I haven't been by myself until this. I was no such idea of a minion. And I went to go to shul and like I couldn't find parking and I, like, I ran home. I was so, I didn't know how to react because I never went to like a daily minion in my life. So it was definitely a, a change overall, it was great change. But moving to a community and having a support system, having a road we could ask questions to, having other people we could have questions to. I remember one of the first shoppers we had, maybe the first time we had people over, we didn't know, and we heat up soup on Shabbos Day. And, like, afterwards, the people didn't know what to do. <laughs> so they were smart. They, they told the Rove, and the next time my wife went to the Shira, the Rove slipped it in, in the middle of the Shira, about not heating up liquids on Shabbos. And she was so upset, she called everyone and said, like, no, no, we, we, we told the Rub. She's like, oh, God, so next time, tell me. And at the end of the day, it probably wasn't, yeah, it's how spoke. So it wasn't so bad. So those are the things that we just, we would never live in Hoboken. We never had the opportunity to grow and... Uh, you know, get where we are.
0: And for our listeners who maybe don't know the tri-state area that well, so you were in Hoboken, which is just on the other side of the Hudson River outside of New York City. And then you moved, you said, within Bergen County. So where did you go there? What community did you join?
1: We moved to Bergenfield and we've been here ever since, 17 uh, plus years now.
0: So let's change gears now because I also referenced 9-11 in the introduction. And we haven't talked about what you were doing career-wise. So something must have had you in New York City during the day and how that leads to that fateful day.
1: Right. So I was working in finance since I graduated college in 99, January 99. At that point, I was working in Fuji Bank uh, on the 79th floor. I had been working there for about a year more or less. That day, I was oh usually at work early. I tell people, if you don't have a frame of reference, how high 79 floors is, that a few months before 9-11, one of my coworkers called me over to the window early in the morning. And I said, every few years, you could see this. The clouds were below us, and you could actually see the shadows of the buildings on the clouds. It was an amazing thing. And I didn't have a camera with me. Back then, your camera, your phone, your calculator, your flashlight, your, everything was not on your phone. Like people actually had a camera. So I didn't have anything to take a picture of with. But say, uh, 9-11 comes and we heard a huge bang. And you know, again, you have to take yourself back to pre-9-11 mentality that allowed bang did not necessarily mean terrorism. Today, it has a different connotation. First thing we think of, unfortunately, is terrorism. Back then, we didn't think that. So we thought maybe there was a small plane in the building. We, we didn't know. No one really knew. And the proof is everyone didn't run out right away. Like we kind of like stood there. And even though the plane hit the other building, my building shook. I felt the impact of it. I remember looking outside and you could see like pieces of paper on fire. It was like the, uh, you remember the ticker tape parades that they used to have? And it was like, look like that. Except there like was like some of the paper had like fire on it. So I could see that by the window but we still didn't know really what was going on. And then there is a Moloch, an angel who works for my company, uh, Mr. James Auerbridge, who to this day has never been publicly thanked by Fuji Bank. I just want to put it out there because I did contact them and say, how can you not thank this guy? He went floor to floor of Fuji Bank. We were, I think the 79th through the 85th floor. And right, if you look it up, you'll see the first plane went in straight. The second plane went in diagonal. So second plane, I think I took out all five floors of Fuji Bank. He had seen a plane hit the other building. So he knew exactly what was happening. He went on his own floor to floor of Fuji Bank and said, leave now, leave now. So I heard that, I left. My whole way down, one of my thoughts was that I was actually looking for another job and I left my computer open with my resume on it. Um, but we headed out and I remember we got to the stairs and someone said, at least the lights are on this time because that was a throwback to the first trade center when they had to exit in the dark, the whole building. As we're exiting, people are walking casually. Uh, we're leaving the 79th floor. We get to the 44th floor, and maybe you heard this one. If you didn't hear this one, this will blow your mind. They made an announcement. Building 1 has a fire. Building 2 is safe. You can return to your desk. I exited the stairwell, and I walked over to the elevator, thinking, should I go up, should I not go up? Again, I still had this on my mind that my resume was on the computer. I'm like, you know, I don't want them to know. I'm looking for a job. But whoever, the bonus Shalom said, no, no, go, go down. It's okay. Go down. At this point, we're still walking casually. And then when we got to the 33rd floor was when the plane hit our building. The impact was so great. I, you know, I fell over for half a second. I wasn't sure if I was alive. I, I, had, I had a few flashbacks at this point. The one flashback was when I took the job, and my, fr- my best friend since kindergarten, still to this day, said, you are crazy to work in the World Trade Center. It's the number one terrorist target in the world. And not only that, but I think there was a, a HBO or Showtime, one of those, had a documentary on it with the, uh, the Blind Sheik, and he said that they are going to take down those towers. And he said that the object of the first one was to knock one building into the other. So that's one flashback. So at that point, I thought maybe that was happening. The other flashback was, again, we talk about the secular uh, day school, uh, Hebrew school. I remember when we learned the Shema. And they said that you know, a lot of people say this when they're about to die. And for the rest of the way down, I just said the, the first line of Shema over and over again. That's all I said, the whole way down. Because, again, at this point, we all knew we were in danger. We saw fire, policemen, whoever, coming up. Stairwell was about three people wide. And people were just moving and going down. And, you know, we couldn't really get cell phone service. As I'm on the bottom floor, my friend I mentioned, my best friend, he gets in touch with me from California. And he says, you know, something happened at the towers. You have to leave now. So I said, I'm leaving now. And then we got disconnected. So he thought it meant I was leaving the 79th floor now, not leaving the base floor. So he, along with many other people, thought I was dead for a few hours. And then I got out and I remember the huge crowds watching. I remember they said that there were people jumping. I told myself, this is not something I want to see, but I did want to take a quick look just to get that impression of the two holes in the building. I just wanted to look for a half a second. I just wanted to kind of seal that in my memory as best I could, those two holes. And then I, I got to across the street and I got used to the pay I got in touch with uh, someone in my mom's office, You got in touch with my family, et cetera. And then I, my uncle lives on the Upper East Side, so I ended up going up over there. But um, that moment, I think forever, helped me form a connection with the and really realize how fresh this life is. After every Shimon and I say every day, every day of the year, the first thing I do is thank the Bona for saving me physically and spiritually that, you know, really thanked me for understanding what is, thanked me for surviving that day. That was the second thing that put, after my parents getting divorced, divorce, my dad going the other way, that led me to orthodoxy, that surviving that, that
0: experience. So you're right that there are a million questions I could be asking you about 9-11, particularly the fact that I also was in the Twin Towers. We could do a whole nother podcast on that. But I want to hone in on one particular thing, which is, before you told the 9-11 story, you were talking about meeting your wife and the journey that you were on. So I just wanted to connect those two stories. Like where does finding your wife and starting to become more religious fit in time-wise versus when 9-11 happened?
1: So my father got the way when I was like 23, then uh, 9-11 happened uh, a few years after that. And then after that, I started dating my wife. So at 9-11, we were not involved at all. Uh, It was probably the wedding that we, went to and we we met was probably a year or so after 9-11 and then we like dated for a year and then I went on live note to her as well and then when I came back was when I said I'm never calling her again and she started calling me and then we we knew we were hooked at that point so that's generally generally the the time frame Uh, but yeah 9-11 definitely put things into perspective and really helped me you know, focus on what's meaningful in life.
0: So let's go a little deeper into you come out of 9-11, you're grateful for having survived, and how that in and of itself was like that second catalyst to make you want to explore deeper on Judaism.
1: Right, so it wasn't like the next day I became religious. <laughs> i that out there. It was not, I vividly remember that Friday night, I still went to the, the shul my mom wanted me home, so I went there, and we still went out to dinner at a restaurant, and we still went to the shul that I had been bar mitzvah at, and I still drove home that day. So it wasn't like one of these stories that so next day, okay, I'm, I, you know, I'm putting in tefillin. No, not at all. It was just more of awareness that, listen, I'm studying, I'm studying. And then you have this event. It's like, you know what? There has to be a purpose to all this. I probably progressed a little faster after that. The fact that I was doing some stories, and you start to say, well, wow, life is more meaningful when you have a connection to Hashem so you say wow i could have been not not be here 17 minutes even now you know 17 minutes is just the the difference between us talking or not so yeah i don't know if there's really a easy answer except that it was just a, more of a feeling and more appreciation for life let's continue exploring and doing meaningful things
0: we've covered now two of the three things let's go into the third one what takes you a third way towards orthodox judaism
1: for a while i've been wanting to go to the birthright i heard a lot about it and after again nine eleven, you know start to make a list of things you want to do in life and say Let's start doing them because you never know. One of them was to go on Birthright. And uh, right after it was the infantata, right? So, Baru bombing was a month before 9 11. So, I wanted to go right away. And a lot of people convinced me, said, You shouldn't go right now, that, you know, why don't you wait? So, I went not the December after 9 11, I went the following December to Birthright and Baruch Hashem. I went on a, a very religious program called Of Note. Most programs I believe were 10 days and they have you stay in a hotel and there is some element of sightseeing and maybe partying. Live Note was 14 days, uh, Orthodox program. One Shabbos was at their campus in Sfas, One was at their campus in Yushalayim. And the whole purpose of the program is to really understand and delve deeper into Judaism. It was, you know, of course you did fun things and we, we went to Masada and we did, but it wasn't like here, here to party. I chose this program specifically because I heard about it from someone that did it. And I said, yes, this is the program for me. And on the bus back to the um, airport, I remember I was talking to one of the, the people in charge and I was telling them, oh, I'm going to be religious. This is definitely the path. Seeing how deep and amazing Shabbos could be, how much beauty there is to religion and learning more, going to the hotel, having a chance to dive in the hotel, going to just being there at zero for the first time. I mean, just being there and seeing that it's not this place you hear about on the news that there's a a war in every section. Everyone has guns. No, it's a place of of real kadusha, and that had a real impact on me. I think, again, I think it was helpful that I was looking for that, that I was already exploring it, that, you know, at this point, I was like, wow, yes, this is MS. This is the path I want to, you know, lead the rest of my life
0: And let's now go back into the career side of you because you talked about on 9-11 that you're working in finance, but the first time you and I met was actually when you led a jump rope class in the social hall of my shul. So I think our listeners are thinking, how does a guy in finance end up running a business related to jump roping? So make that connection for us.
1: Okay, good. So I was interviewing for a job, as I mentioned, or trying to interview for a job uh, on 9-11. Actually on 9-11, I had an interview set up for two days from there. And I remember the recruiter couldn't get in touch with me. And then first question, he's like, you're alive. I said, good. So I ended up getting another job. And I'm convinced that that job was also in New York City, working also on banking. But they didn't ask me one question, I don't think, about my my experience. I think they just asked me about 9-11. And they felt pity for me, and they gave me the job. But after that, I had a few things. I was trying to go into a nursing home administrator at one point. I worked at Moody's Investor Service for a year or two. And then I ended up working at the first School, and I worked in their business office for 10 years. At the first School, about halfway through, I think, I was approaching 40, and I said, you know what, my family has a lot of health issues, not personally, but my father and my grandparents, diabetes and heart problems, and I was always healthy, but I was looking for something to do just to make sure I'm a little more active. More proactive on my health. I found a jump rope, and uh, the kids have a jump rope in the back room, whatever. I started using it. I was like, "This is good." You know, I was. I realized it was a little long, or something was wrong, because I kept making marks on the ceiling. I was <laughs> like, happy with, but okay. So, and then I found online a company called Crossrope, and a guy named Serge. So, Serge, I learned how to the jump rope, the proper format. Actually, Serge is the one who started talking about crossrope weighted ropes. And I got those. I'm like, wow, these are these are pretty good. So what I started doing is I worked at Frisch. And they ain't use their gym till like the last two periods of the day. So uh, for 10 minutes a day, just three times a week, I would go down to the gym and jump rope on my own. And for a while, I wasn't thought. Was I, was I stealing from my employer? Until one day, the principal saw me. He's like, no, it's good. It's good. You need to refresh. You need to exercise. I said, yeah, you know, I, I had somewhat... Not stressful job, but I I dealt with collecting money from parents and dealt with the scholarship process. So it was a little sometimes taxing. So to get out there and refresh, it was I came back, I was a different person. But what really was shocked me is that I didn't need to lose any weight and jump roping three times a week, ten minutes a day, in one year I lost 14 pounds. And I did nothing else. Different. He, he, even today, when I get a physical, the doctor, I'm like, can I check those records? Like, I, am I, 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 I tell everyone this, but he's like, no, no, it's it's accurate. I said, okay, good. So then at that point, I started looking around the shul, and I said, some people may be not as active as me, and maybe they're not as in shape as they should be. So I approached Rabbi Neuberger, and I said, will the road be open to having a class in our social hall? He said, 100%. He said, first of all, people should exercise. Second of all, I want to make sure that men are not going to mixed gyms. So if we can accomplish both of those, go for it. So we started classes there, and then uh, we went to Farallon a little, we went to Beth Aaron. we were also in Springfield, where we my to Marcus at you know, there are ups and downs, people will come, people will not come, and we were doing this for about a year and a half or so before uh, COVID, and then Crossover was doing an article on me. I'm like, that's great that they're going to do an article on me, but how in the world is someone going to join my class from across the country? I said, I have a brilliant idea. I'm going to offer classes on Zoom. Seriously, this is before COVID. I offered classes on Zoom, and before the article came out, my members were like, there's no way I'm coming to a class on Zoom. They said, if it's not in person, I'm not coming. So I rented out space, I spent tons of money, no one was showing up. At the same time, classes in person, also sometimes I would set up a class, no one would come, i call my wife crying, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore, this is race. So no, stick with it, stick with it. So, Oracle comes out, no one joins. No one joins, I like, great, okay, great. At the same time, I said to my wife, maybe I should try pursuing this. Can I quit my job? I've been asked to quit my job for like 10 years, just to sit and learn all day. And she's like, uh, you know, if you notice, we have tuition bills. It's not so practical. I'm like, but I never went to COLO. She's like, that's nice. You never went to COLO. We still have tuition bills. So after 10 years of begging and pleading her and diving, she's like, fine. Why don't we try it? You'll quit your job. You'll teach your classes and you'll get to learn half the day. So I said, that's great. Wonderful. So I started doing that and it was a COVID year. So I started learning and sure enough, before I knew it, all the kids were home. And I said, like, okay, great. But at the same time, people stopped really coming to classes in person. There wasn't so much attendance. And then COVID came. And then we moved everything online. And now all those people that say, I'm not going to come online, they had no choice. And people who didn't live close also were able to join. And then also we had women joining now. And you know, the policy is the women have to join with the cameras off for a male instructor. So the women joined. So now I had people from five, six different cities, and, and then we expanded, and, you know, Berkashen. we went from COVID story, we had three classes online a week, to now, I just counted this morning, I think we have 29 live classes, I think eight or nine for women only, and uh, the, we've had a few classes where have people joined from six different states, that's the high. We have six states, so far, we've had three countries, I think, I think we had US, Canada, and Australia on one class. So yeah, we've just, it keeps going. And it's, it's, it's such a broker. I never got back to learning though. <laughs> I never got back to learning it because the company is expanding. So every year I'm like, this is the year I get hire people. But you know, one of the things I've done for every day is, you know, the Bona Shalom, I want to learn all day. But if you want me to do something else, then you, you put me on this will to do something else. And although I think I should learn, your will is more important than mine. So I said, just show me a sign. So show me a sign, and I'll continue doing what you want me to do. And always what happens is within a day or so, I get a text message from someone saying, you know what, I'm in the best shape of my life. I was never able to do this. I never realized how important exercise was. I'm addicted to exercise now. Thank you so much. And at that point, I just up my hands and say, you know what, okay, yeah, what can I do? I, I'm not here to serve myself. I have to do what the bonus I wants.
0: And I'm thinking there are people listening who say, wow, jump roping sounds cool, but I really either have never done it in my life or can't remember the last time I did it. So, you know, what would you say to someone who's like, all right, I do need to exercise, but I feel somehow intimidated about trying jump roping for the first time.
1: Right, so I would say that, a few things, that Jump to Shape is not just jump roping anymore. So there's a lot of exercises you could do. Jump roping is a great full body workout. We have trainers, including myself, I'm the head trainer. We have women trainers that literally have taught people who tell me they'll never be able to do jump roping to doing five minutes straight over time. That you have to have patience, you have to practice. But that's what I would tell you before two weeks. Now I'm going to tell you there's a whole new addition to jump roping that is actually in the process of changing our classes dramatically. It's going to sound funny, it's going to sound very funny. There are ropeless ropes. All the ropes we use are weighted. So you have a handle and into the handle goes uh, a rope that's only about, you know, about five inches and has a weight at the end of it. So why is ropeless ropes important? For many reasons. First, for people who are maybe on corners, You know, they, they just can't get the rope underneath them. But more importantly, we found it's such a use for people who have leg or knee issues. We've had people who tried our classes in the past and after one class, they're like, my knees hurt, I can't do it. They now have given these ropeless ropes and they're like, wow, it's great because they don't have to jump. They can march. They can walk back and forth. We also now have three or four people over 65 using these ropes now. We have developed programming for people that are beginning programs for people that don't even require equipment at this point just to get moving. Now, stretch classes, abs classes, weight classes. And my advice is always this, that it doesn't have to be jump into shape. My advice is that you have to find something that you find is accessible. It has to be fun, and it has to be challenging.
0: What's the website or the best way that someone could get in touch who wants to get started?
1: The easiest way is uh, jumptheshape.fun, jumptheshape.fun, and we do offer a free 30 days for anyone to try everything. You get all the equipment in the mail, you get as many one-on-one tutorials as you want. And in addition to live classes, we actually have I think about 1,500 videos on demand now, so you can work out whenever you want. And we have so many fun contests that we try to challenge you and push you to do more. Team content contests, individual, and we're we'll always open to suggestions. If you if you say, hey, listen, Moshe, we should have this class, I say, let's try to have it. We'll do our best.
0: I want to ask you one last question before we close the interview with the lightning round. We talked about your parents' divorce and how your father went all the way in the non-Jewish direction. Your mother, I'm assuming, stayed like as a secular Jew. So I'm, I'm curious wh- where they're holding now and how they reacted to where your life had in terms of religion, how they felt about it.
1: My mother was at first a little car of guard and she's always been very accepting. The hard parts for my mother are when there are functions that we can't go to on Shabbos. Uh, and so that's hard that you know sometimes we can't go to the family units but other than that she's been very always very accepting and especially once we have kids and start to see how they flourish in Yishikai. and we had two bas mitzvahs and our son's bar mitzvah recently it was the first orthodox bar mitzvah in our family in 85 years and i, I could say that she kind of you know complete knock us from everything you know she says it's not for her but she's very happy that we chose this path so my father was in a few months ago the biggest nice miracle for me surviving 9-11 is that my father went his direction, and I went my direction, and we had, we had a wonderful relationship. Until his death, we had an amazing relationship, and we never let religion come in between us. Now, he knew I did not accept his path at all. I would never acknowledge it. I would never call him on any holidays, ever. He would call us. I always got excited when he called Hanukkah. More than anything, he would call him Pesach and everything. When he called him Hanukkah, I would turn to the family and say, he even believes in the Deerubanums. <laughs> he, I was so excited when he called him Hanukkah. But um, when he died, we didn't go to the funeral. We went to the kever out of earshot of everything, but we did not go inside the church. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a Kirish in my eyes. It wasn't painful. It was a Kirish is what Baruch wants. It doesn't mean I love my father one, le- one bit less. It just, the bonus room comes first.
0: It's also beautiful, like you said, that you went in different directions religiously, but you still were father and son, and you remembered at the end of the day, like that relationship really matters above everything else. Yeah.
1: I actually took him to the Kotel. I took him to Yushalayim, to Israel one one year. And he had his own agenda, but we had a few days together. I scheduled a tour with someone who knew the situation. And we still joke, we were joking, that we got a picture in front of the Kotel, And I had to keep on, and he had a cross on. The person we asked to take the picture, I don't think they knew what was flying. (laughs) So,
0: yeah. All right, so let's close the interview now with our lightning round. I have a few short questions to ask you to wrap the interview. Are you ready? Yeah, go. All right, so you are the face of the franchise for Jump Into Shape. So let's have our listeners... Find out what your own personal record is. What's the most jumps you've done in a minute or the longest you've gone without, you know, tripping over the jump rope or something that would, would put in perspective what's gotten you so good at this? My
1: most impressive class. Every Wednesday night, we have our intense class. One time for 20 minutes straight, I used a one and a half pound rope. I made one slight error on a crossover. I really almost did the whole class over afterwards. But except for that slight error, we would say I did 20 minutes straight with a one and a half pound rope. That
0: for sure is impressive. All right, question number two. What's the best success story from someone who maybe was totally out of shape and started taking your class for a period of time? What's a like a testimonial you could share?
1: That's testimonial is someone who joined and they said, me and cardio don't get along. I never like cardio. She called us the night after her daughter's boss mitzvah and said, I want to thank you. I danced for two hours last night. I never would have been done that if I have not done Dumb and dumb Shape. I think at this point, this person done over 400 classes.
0: Wow. That is quite a testimony. You got to put that person on your uh, homepage, I think. Yeah. All right. Third and last question. Uh, you and I have talked about 9-11, which clearly played a big role in the transformations that went on in your life. But most people honestly don't have something that traumatic that will happen to them. So how do you think someone who doesn't have a major traumatic thing happen could still find a way to take stock of their life, figure out what they want to do, make some big changes when they don't have this catalyst that makes it happen.
1: So I, when I talk at schools, I talk about the 9-11 moment. And I say, everyone has a 9-11 moment. The 9-11 moment is a time when you could look back at your life and it's so clear that their bonus room is leading you. Sometimes it doesn't happen until 20 years later. You come back and you look back, oh my gosh, that's why I had a teacher. That's why I made that friend. Oh, that's why I missed that accident. Whatever it is. Oh, I missed that plane, whatever it is. Sometimes, like me, it's front and center. But my advice is everyone has to search for those 9 11 moments. And then you have to dive in on it. You have to thank the Barnes that you had it. You have to remind yourself of it. It has to be a, something that's so fresh in your mind that it drives you to live every day. So we all have the 9 11 moments. We just have to sometimes you have to search for it. And if you have to write it down and have a collection, you have a whole collection of them. They don't have to be big, but they are there if you look for them.
0: That is a beautiful message to end on. So let me just say, Moshe, thank you so much for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos.
1: Thank you. It was a real honor. Thank you so much.
0: Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit taklismedia.com That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.